right, this is Abraham. And Ryan O. So welcome to Why We Do What We Do Spooky Edition. Ooh, spooky. All right, so before we dive into our current topic, we have a quick public service announcement. It's actually not a public service announcement. It is a <laughs> housekeeping item because we're not really servicing the public in this. <laughs> So we are doing a listener survey and we really, really need your help. If you've listened to this, regardless of one episode or you've been in it for the long haul, 120 plus episodes, we're trying to get to know you better, who you are, what you like, what you don't like, what we could do better, all of those sort of things. And if you do this, you can submit your email address. We're doing a giveaway. We're going to send out a few shirts that we designed forever ago for the team. We're going to kind of revise those and get those out. And it just helps us tailor it better so we know what it is that we're creating for whom. So if you can fill that out, it'll probably take five minutes. I know five minutes is a lot in this day and age, but we're going to read every single piece of feedback. And you have an opportunity to influence the podcast by suggesting topics as well as guests to have on the show. So if you can just give us a few seconds, please, please go hop over to that link. It's in the show notes. It's in this post and contribute. Help us make it better. Even if this is the first episode you have ever listened to of why we do what we do, we would still like to hear from you, please. We are not going to sell your information. We're not interested <laughs> in like doing anything that violates your privacy. We're just trying to get a better sense of our audience so that we can tailor this show to be the best that it can be to meet the expectations of the people who are finding it. Help us do what we do better. Yeah. And you get a free shirt for doing so. Potentially, you'll be entered into a raffle and there's there'll be a giveaway of a few people getting raffles. And then maybe we'll throw in some stickers for those people who are like runners up or something. Oh, yeah. I got plenty of stickers. Yeah, let's do that. We could probably give a sticker to everybody that submits. That's not hard to do. There you go. If you submit, you get a sticker for sure. You might also get a shirt. We need like the rap air horn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So today i think you have a story for us yes i do let's let's do a quick overview of your familiarity with this so let's talk for a moment what are zombies all i know are those they're those little green scary characters that you either shoot in video games or they come chasing after you in board games yes you have to take them out (laughs) yes described as being essentially reanimated corpses there is a, a long history of folklore that is associated with this and it's gone through so many different revisions and additions and interpretations it would be impossible and unnecessary to try and list them all here but in more recent years their idea has been that there is some kind of virus bacteria or something else that has killed its host and maintains just a portion of the brain enough so that that host can try and infect other hosts basically so sort of carrying itself around but essentially the person for all intents and purposes is dead and is walking around trying to bite other people so that's sort of the idea now (laughs) why do we like this folklorish character that we have created here yeah you know i've never been super into zombies so I i don't have any personal insight into this one zombies are my absolute favorite horror villain okay and i'm not entirely sure why I think (laughs) for the one thing, I think that they're unhuman enough to make them so I don't feel like I'm watching someone who's just being tortured. And I really think that the effects that they do on costumes and makeup that looks like decaying flesh is just it's so gruesomely weird and cool to look at. And like it's impressive that they can do that much to like alter someone's appearance. It's just kind of neat looking visually. 
I saw a social media post the other day. I think it was from a, a past year, not this year's Halloween season, but somebody was actually brought into an emergency room for an issue. They prepped her for surgery because the, the makeup was so real Oh, during her zombie-like dressing that she had. Wow. <laughs> right? I, I will say that, that that's always fascinating to me, just like, it feels like zombies could be a real thing just because of the way we relate with being human, right? And like seeing those sort of aspects of them. Yeah. Another thing about zombies that I like as a villain is that they aren't evil and they don't even necessarily have motives other than to propagate, you know, yeah. it's just to make more of themselves. And so the sort of horde entity where they sort of gather together and they, you don't care if they die. They're not actually like bad or mean or like trying to necessarily inflict harm. They're just these mindless drones trying to survive. Exactly. Trying to survive. There's something about that that I think is so interesting that that's something I think that appeals to me. So since we're talking about zombies, let's talk about ants. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so story time with Abraham. Perfect. Let's journey down into the rainforest in Brazil or what's left of the rainforest in Brazil. And look for some carpenter ants. Ooh. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with carpenter ants, these are fairly large for an ant. They wear a tool belt. Yeah. And they have lots of tools around their waist, right? Yep. They're adept at using hammers and screwdrivers and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> these can grow to be about an inch long, which is big for an ant. This is about 2.5 centimeters for our metric friends. And these ants have very powerful jaws, and they use these jaws to hollow out wood. Sounds scary. An inch long? Yeah, right? So these are pretty big and very, very strong. And while hollowing out wood is something that sucks for humans when we build things out of wood, a carpenter ant actually serves a very critical role in clearing away dead and rotting trees in a forest environment. So they're one of those things where they seem like a pest, but they're just a pest to us because we took their home and turned it into our home. And then they're like, hey, that's mine. And then they, yeah. <laughs> they take it back, basically. So one thing that is a misunderstanding about this, though, is that carpenter ants don't actually eat the wood that they clear away like a, a termite does. A termite eats the wood, but carpenter ants don't. They just they clear it away to make a living space for their colony. Interestingly, they are part predator and in a way part scavenger. Also, they essentially eat other smaller insects and the larvae of other insects and then the corpses of other insects as well. So let's focus on one particular carpenter ant. We'll name him Ant on Sugar. Just from the movie No Country for Old Men, book No Country for Old Men, and movie, whatever. And Anton is not doing so good. He is behaving erratically. His once shiny black eyes are beginning to take on a faded white color, and he appears very sickly. Now, as a rule, ants don't usually let sick ants hang around the colony, which is probably just as well for everyone involved. So, in a jerky, unnatural move, the ant begins to wander away from the colony. What the rest of the colony doesn't know is that this ant is basically already dead. Its brain is still flickering life for a short period of time, but it's not controlling its own muscles anymore. Yeah. Now, the other ants in the colony may just carry Anton out if they notice that he's behaving erratically in this way, but they may not notice before he just wanders away. But let's just say that they don't notice and Anton does just wander away on his own. He's going to venture to a nearby tree or stem of some sort. But interestingly, he's going to choose one in particular that has 
uh, branch that is A, above the ant colony as much as possible, and B, exactly 10 inches or 25 centimeters off the ground. The ant is going to find a stem or leaf and it's going to bite into it and it's going to lock its jaw in place. Call it a death bite or a death grip. And it's, this ant is never going to move again. Okay. Over the period of a few days, a growth is going to begin to emerge from the back of the ant's head. Like skinny brown stick, it grows several times longer than the length of the ant itself. And once fully developed, this growth will open up and release spores which will disperse among the ant colony to zombify another ant, probably as many as it can. So this ant was actually taken over by a fungus called Ophiocordyceps unilateralis, often simply just called cordyceps, or more simply called zombie ant fungus. How freaking weird is that? Yes. And scary. Very strange. Yes, very Whoa. scary. It's giving me the chills, man. I know, right? So anybody interested in seeing a depiction of this, if you just do a search for zombie ant or and we'll get into this later, zombie kind of any bug, and you can find a video of this happening. It is disturbing to watch. Oddly fascinating, but really disturbing, in my opinion. I'm like watching right now the spore come out of the back of its head, and I'm like sick to my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is unreal. Oh my gosh. You imagine the BBC team that had to go out there and film this? I was thinking about that. I'm like, who's holding the camera here? They're like, we're dead. We're toast. Yeah. We're done. <laughs> I hope you got hazard pay for that, whoever was filming that. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into how this fungus zombifies ants. So the fungus spores will float around in the ant's bloodstream for a while propagating itself. Eventually, the spores will grow into this tube-like structures that will start to spread out among the ant's body. And if anybody's familiar with how fungus tends to work, there is a network of, they kind of look like roots called mycelium, and that is what the fungus actually is. Now, this is not like an edible mushroom that grows out of the ground. This is a different type of fungus altogether, but it does have a, a lot of similarities with the kind of mushrooms that we would eat, and it is, it is still technically a fungus anyway. And as the network of spores grows, it's fueled by consuming the ant from within. It eats its blood and organs and muscles and begins to connect together. Eventually, the tube network that has grown inside the ant will take over the ant's muscles entirely. Yeah, it will fill up the ant's entire body. Pretty much, it'll be an exoskeleton full of this fungus. Interestingly, it was once believed that the fungus took over the ant's brain and controlled its body that way by sort of using the brain like a joystick controller and moving it around. But recent research from a student named Meridel Fredrickson demonstrated that the fungus actually does not touch the ant's brain at all. It only consumes its muscles and blood and like the inside of its body. Which is even more freaky and weird. Right. And this has got to be like an excruciating pain, right? That the ant like slowly dies with its mind completely being overtaken and its body decaying around it. Well, that's the thing is its mind is actually completely intact. So it's like aware and helpless. This is so if you're listening to this in order and you recently listened to our episode on sleep paralysis, this idea that you're you can't move your body, but you feel awake. This is that reality and realized like a thousand times over because you are 100 percent there, presumably. I mean, obviously, we don't know the experience of an ant, but its brain is completely intact. 
the fungus hasn't touched it, but the ant cannot control any part of its body any longer. It's just the mycelium has taken over its body. It has filled it up with these little tube structures and is controlling its muscles and making it move around and walk around. It is extremely creepy. Oh my gosh. So <laughs> the structure the cordyceps has formed has given a vehicle to the fungus, as Abraham was uh, mentioning there. And what it does is it now drives the ant entirely. The ant may or may not die before it makes its final ascent, but either way, at some point, many of these ants are dead and yet walking around a very literal zombie. Right. And what's interesting about this is that the spores do not actually have a brain, but they're nevertheless able to move the ant's body with purpose. So they walk it, they move the legs in a coordinated way. And it's not entirely known how this process works, but it does make sense to hypothesize some aspects of this in terms of what we do understand about how behavior works and how we interact with our environment. And that is, it's likely that the spores are drawn to certain types of humidity and like airflow. Okay. And the network of tubes that are capable of coordinating action in this are essentially simply repeating the movements that the ant was making as the tubes were growing inside it. So as a pattern of movement that just sort of went, you know, this leg here, this leg here, this leg here, and that sort of thing, the tubes just started just continue to repeat that motion in a way. And it grew inside such that the ant eventually dies and, and yet still walking around because the fungus is driving it at that point. And that zombie ant then moves toward elevations that will get that fungus and the, the spores inside it as close as possible to the preferable humidity. And how it knows to position itself like above the ant colony, I have no idea. Maybe there's like a smell or something that it also likes, but whatever is happening, it does make sense to hypothesize at least that there is something that the spore is sensitive to. And probably the fact that it can move the body of the ant comes from the fact that it was participating in the ant's motion to begin with as it was growing. And then as the ant dies, then the spore just kind of drives the little ant vehicle up a branch. It forces its jaws to clamp down on the stem. And then the mushroom really grows outside of the ant. And it just, it looks like a corpse with this giant brown stick that's growing out of the back of his head oh it's so gross i'm still just like this whole show just shaking my head like creeped out yeah full-on goosebumps oh my gosh so what's even crazier is this is not unique to carpenter ants at all so many types of ants are susceptible to a fungus invasion of this sort and in fact there are over a thousand types of this fungus that have been found and they infect all sorts of insects such as moths stick bugs flies caterpillars beetles cicadas and spiders if you search for zombie whatever you can see images of some of these creatures having been taken over by the fungus sometimes it sprouts from their entire body often making the insect barely recognizable or appear to be covered in something like a hairy frost. Yeah, almost like it got left out in the cold and it was just covered in frost, but it's kind of this like hairy tendricle thing because those are the mushroom fruiting bodies sprouting off of it. Like what is keeping humans from not experiencing this? It just... Whatever that is, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, definitely. It's pretty horrifying to look at some of the images of this with... And I mean, I was thinking about with flies, with flies. Like there's flying zombies <laughs> that are out there. <laughs> That's so terrifying to me that it'll do the same thing. It takes over their bodies and it... 
I don't exactly understand where, what the objective is with the flies, but it does a similar thing where it gets them in a very particular position. It has them arch their body in a certain way. And then as the fly is dying, it'll start to sprout out of its body and it just grows straight out of its body. These mushrooms and they look like they get fairly big too. Like it looks like it cracks open their exoskeleton. Sometimes it's pretty horrifying. The BBC video that we linked to and referenced earlier has images of not just the ants, but the different types of bugs that can also experience this. Right. So it's kind of your one-stop shop, three-minute, and get the whole creeps and everything. Yeah, yeah. so that <laughs> one's in the show notes. You can find that one there. But yeah, the other one that really creeped me out, too, was thinking about zombie spiders, where they've been taken over by this fungus, and they're like living in their web. I mean, they're undead, but they're inhabiting their web, and it's just like, ugh spiders already terrify people bad enough a zombie spider is just like so much worse i went to ask you way earlier what's up with this 10 inches or 25 centimeters above like this sounds like that's specific and consistent so i think what it is is they talk about the humidity a lot in here and so for some reason that level off the ground has a perfect humidity but i think that that humidity is perfect because what it does is that's the exact right distance for the spores to be more likely able to infect a new host and spread themselves more because i think if they were too high then they just potentially blow away or they wouldn't land in the right places and if they were too low it would be too specific it wouldn't infect very many yeah so like 10 inches appears to be the exact right height to infect as many as possible and then they will slowly turn into zombies over time as huh. as the mushroom spreads throughout their their body and throughout the colony but yes, you're right. It's, it is amazingly consistent how often they will find that 25 centimeters or that 10 inches off of the ground yeah. where it does the death grip and then the spore releases or the, the fungus grows out of the animal, in this case, the ant, and then it releases the spores over the colony and then it infects their blood and the cycle continues. All right. So, of course, the big question I kind of alluded to earlier is, can this happen to humans? The answer is no. Fortunately. <laughs> I think, think of the heavens, whatever it is that you like to think and kiss the ground or whatever. Like it is, this would be so creepy. Zombie folklore seems to largely have been influenced by story traditions from Haiti, but there is nothing like cordyceps that affect humans that turn us into these mindless fungal zombies. Apparently, and I've never played this, but it sounds amazing. There's a game called The Last of Us, and apparently that game is based off of the premise that people have been taken over by a cordyceps fungus that has turned them into zombies, but it's very unlikely that this will ever happen. It just, it's never made it beyond insects as far as we know. There aren't any larger animals that have been infected with a zombie. I think that includes things like fishes, frogs, birds, other mammals. Like it just seems like that is, that has not been observed. And I think also there's not necessarily utility for this to happen. Like it's not very useful for it to infect something larger. It seems to be really good at propagating itself in these insect colonies possibly because they live in such big numbers in such a small area. So it's very successful with what it has, basically. All right, so besides zombie fungus, another parasite is a type of wasp which infect orb spiders. The mother wasp attacks the spider and deposits her eggs in the spider, but does not kill it. Instead, the larvae release a hormone that would normally cause the spider to prepare for molting. Right. Then the infected orb spider constructs the type of web it would make for molting, but it builds it much stronger than a normal molting web. Now, 
the way that this is done is this is so fascinating to me and I never really knew this before preparing for this episode, but when they are molting, they actually need to be able to be undisturbed in their web for at least a couple of days. It takes a couple of days for them to finish that molting cycle. So molting means that they are growing out of their exoskeleton. They have a new exoskeleton growing underneath and they'll just they'll break out of their exoskeleton and form another one. This happens usually when they're growing in size. And so then their exoskeleton will just sort of fall to the ground. But when they're doing this process, what's so fascinating about this is they'll make their webs stronger than usual because they need to be able to stay put for at least a couple days. But they'll also make them ultraviolet. And the reason is that birds see an ultraviolet. And they don't want the birds to fly into their web and destroy it while they're going through the molting process. Huh. And so the birds are more likely to avoid it because it stands out more brightly to them with the colors that they use. And then if there's any other falling debris, that's why they make it stronger. So leaves that are blowing through or things that just fall from trees naturally are less likely to disturb their web while they're molting. Light things, obviously something heavy would still destroy it because they make it a little bit stronger. So what's happening with this wasp that's really interesting is they're going to make it really, really, really strong, much stronger than they would normally make it, even for molting. But otherwise, it basically the same hormone that's released when the spider starts molting, the larva is releasing that hormone into it, but apparently is releasing it in such a way that it's going to construct this crazy powerful web. And so essentially, the wasp larva is sort of puppeting this spider around until the web is finished. Once the web is finished, unfortunately, this parasite this larva is going to finish consuming and killing the spider and then it just discards its corpse drops it off of the web and then the larva is going to construct a cocoon for itself largely by wrapping itself in a lot of the web that was made and then it grows inside of that so it, this is a pretty insidious little beast this episode just creeps me out yes unsettling was a very good way to describe it yeah i have never experienced as much feeling of like being sort of disturbed and unsettled as when I was preparing for this episode and just reading through this and seeing the videos, seeing the images, reading the articles, nothing makes it feel <laughs> like reassuring at all, except for there was one point where they described it sounds like this this fungus is very self-destructive because if the only means it has of spreading itself is by infecting a live host well then what happens if it kills all its live hosts it can't spread and then it just dies out yeah and so what they were talking about is there actually seems to be a very useful mechanism in here where it keeps overpopulation in check it never infects so much that it wipes out all of them Although they did say it's wiped out entire colonies before, but it generally, most of the time, it's going to only infect a few individuals that just keep infecting a few individuals so that if a population gets too big, it's more susceptible to the fungus because it's easy for it to find a target. But if the population maintains a smallish size or at least one that's not too large, then it's the fungus will only infect ants occasionally here and there and so it actually helps control the population so that it doesn't grow too large and that can be helpful so that then they don't consume too many resources if they've grown too large yeah and there's also that component where the ants can actually identify this and like take them out of the colony area too right what i was seeing is when some of the other ants notice that there's a zombie among them then they will just they will <laughs> pick it up and they will drag it as far away from their colony as they can so it's unlikely to infect anyone else and yeah so it's kind of funny <laughs> that they've figured this out as well all right anything else on this topic 
Well, I mean, I think, again, this is just is very creepy and weird and horrifying. But what's fascinating to me is the idea of the moving dead insect and the fact that it's being controlled by this fungus thing and how it's doing that. And it's it's so weird and bizarre. I mean, this thing doesn't have a brain. It doesn't have any like intentions. It doesn't move with any amount of agency. It's hard to imagine. It's really learning in any meaningful way from its environment. And yet somehow the fungus is piloting around this vessel that it's taken over. And that's basically mostly dead, but not all the way in many cases and is like driving it to a very specific place. And it just had me thinking, how does the fungus accomplish this? And that's why yeah. I was, you know, looking to trying to explain how it would know to move the ant in such a way that it would be able to execute walking, climbing and biting. How does the fungus know what the correct height is? And the only things that make sense are that it's, it has already, it's basically just replicating patterns that the ant was already doing. And it's sensitive to very specific atmospheric condition conditions, such as humidity and potentially any odor that the ants produce. And then that is how it, is able to position itself and move in a way that would allow it to reproduce. So all of that's really interesting. And it's just, it doesn't seem, at least I didn't find anything in the research that I was doing, how clearly understood this process is. It seems like not very, but it, this has become very popular in the last few years, um, people. So I'm thinking that this is not something we've known about all that terribly long either. Yeah. Freaky man. Yeah. Really fits our October uh, spooky theme. Yeah, I actually felt like this is the perfect. So, and I don't think we said this at the top, but this is the final episode in our spooky October. This one maybe even comes out on Halloween. Does Halloween fall on a Wednesday this year? Maybe it's on Thursday. But this comes out. This is our last one. It's at the end of the month. And it seemed like a perfect one to cap off the month with because it is just deeply unsettling. Uh, it falls on a Thursday, so it's the day before. Okay, it's the day before. That's pretty close. That's good. You can still be creeped out on Halloween. Yeah, so you can dress as a cordyceps-infected ant for Halloween <laughs> if you'd like to. If you move fast, you listen to this early and you go get your materials the same day. There you go. Patreon people will probably get this a little bit early, so they'll, they'll <laughs> yeah. be at an advantage. But yes, you, you, you would have to move very quickly. If nothing else, you at least have something gross to talk about with your friends. <laughs> right. All right, so time for take-homes? Sure. So, number one, this can't affect humans or other large animals as far as we can tell. Yeah, it seems to be unique to insects. So this fungus species, it infects a living host and spreads throughout their body by eating them from the inside out, which, ugh, gross. Yeah. And then in doing so, they have created essentially a vehicle that can control and move around. I actually wonder if one of the reasons this works primarily in insects and not in larger things is because it needs an exoskeleton. Right. So that it can fill up the exoskeleton because otherwise it would be sensitive to the environment outside of the body if it was trying to do something, for example, with an internal skeleton. Yeah. Unclear. Hopefully this finds some sort of researcher out there. I'd love to do a follow-up oh, chat with somebody on this stuff, right? Oh, If you do research on on the zombie fungus, like we would be so happy to talk to you about it. That'd be so cool. All right, so another one. Unfortunately, the insect, they are often conscious but helpless during much of this process, as far as we know. Sounds horrifying as well. Yeah, this was super creepy to me. When I was researching this, it made me feel itchy all over, and it is just... 
I'm also experiencing the relief of the fact that it's basically we're done talking about it and I'm fascinated by it. But, oh, man, this is this is some creepy stuff, man. Go watch the video or don't, depending on how itchy and creepy you want to feel. (laughs) Definitely search for more of this. It'll be fascinating to look at. And if you want to be creeped out. For those of you who were creeped out and were like, I don't want to listen to these guys anymore because they're creepy. (laughs) Never fear. This is the last one in our creepy month of October saga. Next, we're probably going to be releasing an episode on lead poisoning or meridian points are a couple that we were looking at. We also are talking potentially about phantom limb. So all three of those will probably be coming out in the next few weeks in November. Super cool. Super excited. Remember y'all, we have that listener survey. We really want to get to know who you are what you want on the episode, things like that. So check it out. This is the first link in this episode, the post, wherever you found this uh, helps us immensely. And you have a chance to win a shirt or get some stickers. So please do that. And remember, we have a Patreon where you can get some of these things like via video format early if you want to know what's coming out and uncut episodes as well. Yep. All of our mistakes and jokes and misfires and side conversations and sometimes uh, (laughs) snippets of content that we just felt didn't really necessarily pertain to the episode or we just felt like you know what this would be better a little shorter of an episode those get cut as well and and put into that long form discussion that you can have access to if you join us on patreon cool appreciate y'all i think that's it this is ryan o this is abraham we're out you've been listening to why we do what we do Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.podcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day.